From the 915 to H-Town, from the Panhandle Plains to the Valley, and everywhere in between, this is the 5050 Podcast, powered by College Promoters USA. Join me, Hector Cano, as we cover the Texas high school club and college soccer landscape, along with an inside look at the college soccer recruiting scene. The 5050 Podcast is a platform about the people and for the people who are dedicated to the beautiful game. Here we go. It's another edition of the 5050 podcast powered by our proud partners, College Promoters USA. College Promoters USA, they are America's premier college prep program and high school student athlete marketing service since 1997. Located locally here in San Antonio, you can find them in the Ventura Plaza Shopping Center, but you can also find them on social media, on Twitter at SATX Recruiting, as well as on Instagram at College Promoters USA. And you can also get more information. <coughs> what they're about and the many awesome things that they're doing on their website at collegepromotersusa.com. My next guest, he is uh, an individual that we seem to have been kind of operating in the same circles for me- <laughs> for a while now. So I'm excited to have him on <coughs> here. Uh, has an extensive history in the game and looking forward to learning some stuff from him as well. He is Dave Simeon, the inaugural, the initial Director of Education Programs at United Soccer Coaches. Coach, how are you? Hector, thanks very much. Everything is pretty good in Kansas City. Yeah, I know. Uh, make sure you stay uh, stay safe with that weather there. I know you were talking about that. It uh, could get a little dicey there, right? Yes, it can. That's, um, that's one thing with Texas, I think, in Kansas they have uh, in common, and that is some bad weather. Yeah, you know, Kansas being right next to Colorado, I spent going back to my time when I was at the Air Force Academy and coaching there. I always tell people that Colorado and Texas are the only two places where I used in my car. They're the only two places where I used my my heater and my AC in the same day. Right. So that uh, <laughs> that's saying a lot. So awesome. So thank you for being here, coach. We appreciate you. And uh you know, we're going to dive into a little bit more in terms of your your new role. I, I say new, but it's you've been there, I believe, since I think April or May of of mm-hmm. last year. Uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit more. But tell us, just give us a brief layout of some of the places you've been and how you arrived to your current role at uh, United Soccer Coaches. Wow, that's um, that might be a long story, Hector. Hector, I'm not sure. The cliff notes, maybe time. the cliff notes I'm version. Cliff <laughs> notes. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah. the the ironic thing is that I know you do a lot of coverage of the high school game in Texas and the prior two years, um, a few of my former players in North Texas and South Texas, and then um, coaches in their early part of their careers who are now in the high school game actually talked me into coming back to Texas, doing my alternative certification and uh, ending up in the high school game for two years prior to this role at Prosper High School in North Texas. So um, that was my latest stop. And so it, and it was a great two years. I can't say enough about the things that I learned in the high school space uh, as an educator, but also as a coach. And uh, it was two years that was well spent. Uh, I consider myself lucky to to work with the folks that I did in Prosper. So that was my my role and responsibility prior to starting this uh, role as the director of education programs for United Soccer Coaches. And we'll, excuse me, we'll dive into your role, obviously, we'll dive into your role a little bit more in a bit, but it's an interesting, that's an interesting piece, right? Because do you feel, how much, I guess is the question, having been, having gone through that role as an educator, coaching on the high school side, and then now into your current role, 
how much can you do you feel you can identify that that last experience will help you in this new role always from the inside it looks a lot different from the outside the reality of anything so <clears throat> being able to for two years um teach in a school system um and go through the cycles of high school coaching whether you're in mls whether you're in the club game high performance or you're in college <clears throat> there's a cycle to it all it looks a lot different from the inside than it does from the outside in the club arena which i have a fair amount of experience in you see kids three or four times a week at two or three hours at a snippet and then the big difference is in the high school arena, you see kids within the classroom, you see them in the secondary education environment. It's very different. You get a whole totally different understanding of young people um, than you do just by having them two or three hours, two or three times a week. <clears throat> so, it broadened my understanding, mm -hmm. <clears throat> a, a perspective that you can't get unless you're with them that much time. So I consider that a valuable experience. It also helps me understand more thoroughly the high school coach, what they're trying to do, the complexity of not only yeah. Um, yeah. their role as an educator, but also as a coach. The one thing that they are short on is time. Uh, the educator and the coach in the secondary environment, I mean, they are just smashed for time. Once they get into their season, it's like rock and roll on, on a high level of volume. And then, of course, by the time your season's over, you're preparing for your incoming freshman you're doing everything in a managerial role that you need to. And then when you show back up in August, <clears throat> it's not like you've had no contact or no attachment to those kids because you have summer programs. So you're really the perception of educators. Well, you get three months off. No, you don't really because you're working through the summer and you're getting right, your kids right. ready, incoming freshmen. And then when you start up, you got the great thing is you have four months to get them ready in the high school environment in Texas. Also, the tough thing is you have four months to get them ready, but you're not really playing any games. And it's it's a little odd. But the one thing that educators do not have an abundance of is time. So I thoroughly understand yeah. that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so many great points there that you hit on. Um what would you what would you say is maybe when you went into that role on the soccer side what was maybe the biggest surprise um that it's not a matter of you wish somebody would have told you but it's something that you your takeaway that something that maybe it's not something you weren't prepared for but something that you were just like wow this is this is as you said it's different on the inside but something that was maybe more of an adjustment for you or you found yourself spending more time on what turned out to be maybe that big surprise in your time at prosper in terms of in being that educator and high school coach well one of the realities and the uniquenesses in contrast to let's say <clears throat> college where you're recruiting or club where recruitment retention team formation the kids that you get in high school, your freshmen come in, it's within the school district, the attendance zone, and you deal with those youngsters over the course of their four years. So it's not like you can go out and recruit kids from another independent school district. And you learn a lot in that environment where you're not able to do anything except move them between freshmen junior varsity and varsity. So a lot of it um, is dependent upon what you're doing with them, your programming, your coaching, not only on the field, but in the performance um, realm with 
strength and conditioning and everything else. And so it, there's, there's no going on the outside and getting free agents. These are your kids. These are your players and you got to have at it. Right. Right. So we pivot here a little bit, coach thoughts on, uh, thoughts on the world cup, maybe the world cup as a whole, and maybe that final as well. Um, Kind of curious to get your your take on maybe a couple couple of trends, certain things that you picked up on when you look back, certain things you were noticing as the tournament was unfolding, and then when you've you've had a little bit of time to look back on it, what are some things that stand out to you? Well, just in in trends, you can go back to like the Euros in '96, and the trend was. We're going to play in deep with a low block, and we are going to counter out. That was the evolving trend at that time. <clears throat> I think it's just the opposite now. It's playing higher up the field with a few exceptions, like Saudi Arabia, uh, Morocco did a little bit of that, although they chased people in the opposition's end mm -hmm. a little bit. So I think it was more high line, go chase the opposition, make them play, in their half of the field where you want them to play, try and recover the ball higher up the field and then deal with creating goal scoring chances and scoring goals um, higher up the field. Uh, yeah. th there were just a few exceptions to that. Like I said, Saudi Arabia was one of them. <clears throat> and then Morocco was interesting, um, as were a couple of the other teams that demonstrated they could play in a mid block or they could play higher up the field or they could play deeper in their own end and they adjusted. And I think that adaptability um, was predominant in the squads that ended up in the quarterfinals and beyond. Right. One of the things that stood out to me in, in this tournament and people kept talking about obviously the the, the less and less emphasis and need of possession. I know you heard that, right? Oh yeah. But but what we, what I noticed, what was significant is, and where I think part of, and we'll get into this more in our next episode that we have coming up. We'll announce that later. But the, how the game, how, how we, my take on this, but how I feel, how the game is changing. And I'm not the only one, obviously, but how we feel the game is changing where before you talked about your traditional, hey, less, we're, we're not going to have the ball as much. We're going to, we're going to kind of bunker in, low block, look for our opportunities on the counterattack. What you started seeing in teams, particularly like Morocco, to name just to name one, was the game was changing in phases, right? They would pick their little 10, 15-minute yeah. blocks, right? And they, yeah. would go, they would go from that low block, or you saw it a little bit, you saw it with, with Wales versus the, the U.S. as well, right? Mm-hmm where it wasn't that they were chasing the game. It was, it was simply also the fact that they would go from a low block or a mid block to a, they're going to go very high. They're going to press and they would pick their, their moments in a half, right? 10, 15 minutes. Sure. And you were seeing games changing. Um, and the other one that I noticed um, was 30 minutes into each respective half. It kind of coincides with what I mentioned, but 30 minutes into each respective half, you saw, that's where you saw the goals become unleashed, right? 30 minutes into that first half, the 75-minute mark in the second half. And as as luck would have it, right, in that final, that World Cup final, when did that game, when was that game turned on its head, right? It was after that 75-minute mark. So yep. what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's always interesting in competitions. <clears throat> this was particularly interesting because of the timing of the World Cup you know, in May, one of the big decisions national coaches have to make is how much time am I going to – I have three weeks. How much time can I give some of the guys that have played 60 games a year so that they're right. fresh? This was a little bit different in the middle of, of uh, the professional seasons, uh, and it was different in South America than for North America. But to your point, last 10 to 15 minutes – of the first half, the first 10 to 15 minutes of the second half. And in the final, I mean, France had really done very little. 
up until about the 75th or 80th minute. And then it was bang, bang. So I think it shows us that at that level, some substitutions, a few adjustments, uh, the player's capability to do that, it results in creating goals or scoring goals. So yeah. I think it was a great lesson in tactical adaptability by those teams. And it, it can't be overstated enough the importance of the five sub rule, right? Versus the traditional three that we had in this World Cup. Um, yeah. You know, you, for you mentioned the final. You know, and Didier Deschamps had to make he had to make those immediate adjustments there in the first half, and they were pretty much all some sort of instant impact subs, right? Um, how do you see that going forward? Uh, do you are you a fan of it? Do you see the five sub rule sticking around for for United twenty twenty six? Oh, I think so. I I think there's an over arching concern for player health and safety and well-being. So I think with the number of games that those players are playing, both on the men and the women's side, um, right. the five sub rule, it, and the managers are learning how to use it. Like to your point, mm -hmm. Deschamps, you know, makes his first sub before halftime, slightly before halftime. So I think they're learning how to manage that especially in the domestic, when you look at the domestic leagues or in qualifying <clears throat> where you have people that they're playing 40 or 50 or 60 um, games with their pro teams. And it's impossible to play 12 or 13 or 14 players. Now you need a deep squad of 22 or 24, even if somebody's going to give you 15 or 20 minutes and you have a role for them. I think managers have learned how to use five subs. Uh, and you could see that um, there were numerous examples in this World Cup. Your personal opinion, data, data analysis trends, what is the big one that you feel maybe might, might, uh, might make the biggest impact or will continue and make the biggest impact in 2026? on the men's men's side well it's none of it i mean from from the elite level none of it's going to make less of an impact because the data is just abundant um you could see the match analysis data um four hours after every match at the world right. cup in 94 when i was on the technical committee with the men's world cup and we charted games it took us three days to completely chart a game because we'd go yeah. back and watch the video. Now, four hours afterwards, by the way, the, 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 the report is 45 to 50 pages long and it's chock full of everything, heat maps, um, everything. So I think, you know, some and analysts and managers pay attention to meters covered. Um, some analysts mm -hmm. pay attention to number of decelerations, number of accelerations, maximum speed, velocity. I think that is a very interesting question because depending on what coach or manager or what performance analyst, they may agree on some things, but they always seem to find some nuances that they yeah. look for and they they trust more than others three days versus four hours that is amazing that's amazing now the question is is if, if it's in theory obviously the data has evolved but if those tech reports are still the same length right 45 to 50 pages and i'm a manager there right and i'm in the knockout stage i'm knockout rounds i probably yes i'm going to have multiple people to be able to interpret it for me yep. but i probably need something a little bit more condensed i imagine right oh my gosh yeah well i think they're going to they're going to consolidate some of that information ignore some of it that they don't feel is quite as important and that's why the relationship uh it seems to me what's evolving is the relationship between the manager and the performance coach, the performance right. staff, the analyst, is that coaches typically are 
reliant on their prior experiences and then their intuition versus the analyst, a lot of times they are kind of number crunchers mm -hmm. and they look at things very black and white. And the key is to get an analyst who can communicate and understand. And the coach, the manager can understand where the performance analyst. So they kind of have the best of all worlds. They may not always agree, but um, uh, they, they understand each other and um, they use the data as well as the intuition to enhance their team's performance. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Great yeah, stuff. It thank is. you for that, Coach. Yeah, thank you. So we, <clears throat> excuse me, we segue over. You know, we we're t we we're talking about earlier talking about your new role, right? An inaugural role goes back to April April of 2022. Is that right? Is that mm -hmm. when that was announced? If I remember mm -hmm. correctly. So talk to us, Director of Education Programs. The genesis, genesis of your new of your new role, how that came to be, and how do you feel it will impact from our corner, right? Let's say maybe high school and college soccer. Um, how do you feel it'll affect those? Well, I think our big overall emphasis with everything is education and affecting coaches, their perspective, their knowledge base, their experiences, and tying it all to reality. So my role really incorporates three different functions. I work with some great people. Um, our convention manager, Erica Dyer, um, our scheduler, Rudy Zimmerman. My role for the convention is to basically draft and identify the talent. So whether we're doing diploma and certifications at the convention or standalone presenters. So there over the five days, there are about 240 some sessions between classroom and um, on field presentations. Mm -hmm. So loading that content up um, and it's, it's just remarkable. This is my first experience in building that. It's much different than, okay, we're going to do three coaching courses together at the same site versus you're going to do this over five days. There are going to be about 10,000 coaches. So it's unbelievable to see where it is now. Second part of it is we have launched a new learning platform, which is called the training ground. And it's tremendous. So, I'm working with and putting together consortiums of coaches, mental skills people, performance coaches, goalkeeping, that we will drive content onto the training ground. And then the third part of it is working with our director of coaching education, Vince Gensberg, and we work together in our diploma courses, special mm -hmm. topics, um, all of our courses that we offer through United Soccer Coaches um, try to approach it strategically where we create a year-round cycle. I have reorganized education so that we've divided the country into smaller geographic education regions. There are 14 of them. So now our focus is... Um, predominantly because we're inundated with technology now, plus we're coming out of the pandemic. And so one of the things we feel strongly about is we're going to reduce the amount of travel coaches need to make in order to get to courses. We're going to vary the delivery of them. So it's not only residential or two weekend. We also offer right blended formats for all of our coaching education and by dividing and organizing the country into smaller regions, we're going to control travel for the coach who's interested in learning as well as the development of our coach educators and coach developers within a specific geographic area. Mm -hmm. So that helps us deliver 
and it helps us understand and meet the scheduling needs within a smaller area rather than to look at the country, which is a continent, and try and um, try and break it down and understand um, understand the scheduling and the delivery of education on a more reasonable basis. Many reasons why I believe my personal opinion is United Soccer Coaches is just an exceptional organization, just an exceptional association. So well said, Coach. Now, I do know, I was meaning to ask you about this. Um, you do have, you will be back in our great state of Texas. You have a special topics diploma that you're going to be doing down here. In is that this month or when is that? Yes, it's the 25th through the 27th of um January, it's going to be in conjunction with a match involving uh, FC Dallas. So we're going to have it up at Toyota Park. And so this speaks to tying education to reality. Reality is the game. Reality is being able to get our feet on the grass and be able to observe. So we'll do a little bit of work with uh, training observation work a little bit with the FC Dallas coach who's been gracious enough to uh, agree to come in and speak with us. I know they're still setting an opponent for the game. So we're also counting on being able to observe training with that squad. And then from there, be able to talk with that staff and then be able to observe the game. So we're excited about that. Um, and I think it's going to reap benefits for coaches who attend. So that's January 25th through the 27th. This mm -hmm. is what is, what is the actual name of that special topics diploma? Coach? It's just connecting, um, uh, game model to performance. Okay. So it's, we're going to, we're going to examine by watching training and talking to coaches, where are they at in preseason with their game model where do they feel their teams are at? Where, what are their obstacles? Because it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter, Hector. You know whether you're coaching an MLS team, a national team, a high school team. Coaches have similar kinds of challenges and dilemmas. It's just about the environment that you're working in. So I think getting coaches to talk about that and being able to make it relatable to coaches who attend these courses. I think that has a, I think that has a big benefit. And again, that's January 25th through the 27th of this month. And I'm assuming they can, it's open for registration already and they can get more information at your website, correct? Yeah. All they need to do is just to get on the United Soccer Coaches website. It's listed on our menu of diplomas. It's a special topics diploma. And um, yes, we still have openings in the course. Absolutely. Good. Awesome. Now, Obviously, so your new role, right, Director of Education Programs, it is something that operates very much on the on the strategic level, right? So how do you, you kind of look into your crystal ball here. How do you, where do you see that? How do you see that your position evolving and maybe over the next two to three years? Right. Well, it's definitely different just in the first year because as a state director of coaching or as a national coach, you know, you're working on, you know, really the delivery part. The scheduling part is important, but the strategic part of this uh, role is grounded in the schedule, the development of the content. Uh, we'd like to, by the time, let's say we get to the um, – convention next year in Anaheim, California. I'd like to have between three to five new diplomas that we will be able to roll out at the convention next year. So that takes planning. It takes identifying individual coaches that we would like to work with us in that endeavor. So it's really putting a lot of pieces together, the execution part of it, um, being able to still get out and teach some courses, teach some sessions. It's still part of this role, but really the strategic elements are 
more predominantly emphasized. Right. Great stuff. So, and in speaking of conventions, obviously we'll talk more about the United Soccer Coaches Convention in a minute, but I know recently both you and I were at the, at the, the TASCO, Texas High yeah. School Soccer Coaches Convention yeah. down in Galveston back in November. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about your experience while you were there. The TASCO convention is unbelievable. So the reason I say that is when I was doing my graduate work in coaching at Midwestern State University in 83 or 84, it was Bob Weir, who was the coach then at Plano High School, said, we're going to invite you down. I'm going to get some people to invite you down to the TASCO convention, which was in the summer at that time. It was actually in the summer. Come in. And I think there may have been 30, 35 coaches <laughs> at that. It was a meeting. It wasn't a, I mean, I know they called it a convention or a workshop, but I was like, now to see it and to see 900, 900 and some coaches. I mean, as state high school associations go, I think Tasco's workshop is not only the biggest, it's the most expansive, but the progress in organization that it's made over the last couple of years is really impressive. For me, we can't really expect that since the our convention is in January. Right. You know, we we have to come to the Tasco convention and we have to we have a great relationship. Um, Jimmy Kruger, uh, Austin Guest, Brian Thompson, who's uh, the uh, coaching education director for Tasco. So we want to be as involved as we can. Uh, we think it's important, the high school segment of coaching. Uh, but how big and how elaborate the workshop has gotten is just impressive and you know my hats go off to uh everybody who's worked over the past years to get it to this point and then they're looking at kicking it up another couple notches so hats off to those mm -hmm. guys and gals it's a great event yeah yeah i know one of the biggest ones one of the biggest things that has us here in texas kind of pulling out our hair right uh, figuratively of course is that uh is we, we have a ton of coaches here that would love to be able to attend the convention, the United Soccer Coaches Convention right. in January, but because of when it is, is we're just entering our seasons or yep. we're right smack dab in the middle of district season, and that's public or private, right? So sure. <clears throat> so yeah, so that's that's a tough one. I think the more involvement in terms of United Soccer Coaches at the Tasco Convention, I think the the more uh, involvement there, I think the better. So looking forward to that in the future for sure. Absolutely. No, we're looking forward to it. And um, our high school membership uh, representative, uh, Lee, she does a great job in trying to cultivate that relationship. And then it doesn't hurt. I mean, coaching and the coaching network, so many of those high school coaches, we're about one or two people away always from knowing somebody who knows yeah. somebody or I just look at how many former players of mine are educators and high school coaches or worked for me as a young, young aspiring coach. And now, you know, they're, they're 20 years in the coaching and they're, they're good coaches. So it's, yeah. it's exciting. Now what makes us different, right. From really the rest of the world is the high school soccer experience, the college soccer experience, right. Where, you know, we talk about this is kind of a two-parter because it's both Texas high school soccer and then high school soccer across the country. Mm -hmm. But where where have you seen it grow maybe the most over the last five years? And this probably includes your experience, of course. Where have you seen it grow the most in the last five years? Or And where do you see its role in the next five years? That's a really good question. I think one of the things that high school soccer does so well is it ties the sport to community because it's uh, organized around 
the education and schools are part of the community. So I think that connection has become stronger over the last 15 years. It's grown, it's become stronger. I think in our environment here in the States, we're a little bit different too. A lot of our sports have been connected to and evolved around the education system. That's the way we have done things. That's the way it's evolved. So I think it's not going to become less. It's going to at least maintain. And in certain parts of the country, like Texas, it's its, it's, its own country. I mean, the size of it. California, Florida. So those are massive soccer environments. And then, of course, when you go back east, eastern Pennsylvania, New York, New Hampshire, Connecticut, um, there are old lineages of high school soccer there. Because I can remember, you know, in Texas, I mean, really high school soccer got introduced in the late 70s. And by the time I was at Midwestern in 83, that's when it really started to blossom. So what it's going to be like in the next five years, I mean, let's look at this facet of it. The facilities are just tremendous. I look at some of the high school facilities, and unless you're a club in Texas that owns your own facility, it's hard to replicate that part of it. I don't think it's going to become any less attached to the community for a variety of reasons. So I think it's going to continue to grow. It ought to. And, you know, if you want to extrapolate that out, Hector, I mean, you know, I really feel that the area in the men's game that needs a lot of support is at the intercollegiate level. Right. I feel like, one of the lost pieces right now, because unfortunately, um, the way it's set up, when athletic directors wish to balance their budget, they typically will cut men's soccer. So we need to change that mentality. One of the ways that we change it, we need USL coaches and we need MLS coaches to talk about the very importance of high school soccer and college soccer because the vast majority of young men and even young women are not going to play pro soccer. But if you want a vibrant and growing base that's interested in the game 10 years from now, you need college soccer. And I'd remind everybody that I'll give you some examples. Clint Dempsey played in our 83 group in North Texas. He was a really good player, but he didn't get to be who he was until he went to Furman for two right. years. And he grew into himself. And that's part of his story in development. It's, it's not going to be every player's story that they're going to go to college, then they're going to play in the under-20s, and then they're going to play in the national team and do what he did. But the point is, if you don't have a thriving college space for men, then it makes the club and the high school space less relevant. And that's what we don't need. We need um, people who are proponents for men's soccer because it's an important part of the landscape. Yeah, well said. He is Dave Simeone, the Director of Education Programs at United Soccer Coaches. All right, Coach, the convention, United Soccer Coaches Convention, coming up in Philly, January, what is that, 11th through the 15th? Did I get that right? Yeah. No, it's a Wednesday yeah. through Sunday. That's correct. Yeah. So tell us who's who's coming. What are you really looking forward to? Just give us a little bit of taste on um, some of the uh, – maybe some of the big names, some of the big presenters, some of the big – sessions, some of the things that have you, have you excited? 
Well, we cover the scope and the spectrum of the grassroots coach all the way up and into professional development for the elite high performance coach and across a lot of different dimensions. So we have the FAI coming. We have Northern Ireland coming. We have the Scottish Football Association coming. Those are three really recognized national governing bodies that are recognized for coaching education. And those, those coaches that are coming have experience as national team managers and pro managers. We have out of uh, Germany, the Europa Cup uh, finalists, Eintracht Frankfurt, they're coming with their technical director. Ajax will be coming out of Holland. So we have this huge spectrum at the top. We also have domestically, give you an example, the Division Three men's uh, champion this year was University of Chicago, coached by a young female, Julianne Sitch. So she's going to be presenting. What, a, what an awesome story. What, what an awesome story. Um, she is a great young woman. She's she's really applied herself. And you can see it in her, her program. It's not just about soccer. It's about management. Um, Marguerite Osasana, who just won in her first year as the head coach at UCLA, uh, down 2-0 to North Carolina, and in the last 15 minutes, <laughs> ends up scoring three goals. How about and that final, huh? How, about that, how final? that was the best women's Division One final, the most exciting um, over maybe the past 12 or 15 years. So, and people are curious about her um, coming in as a first-year coach. You know, it's not easy to come in to players that you didn't recruit. Uh, you have to go in, you have to do a lot of work in people management. You have to get them to buy in. You do have to have a good staff. You have to be good as a technician uh, and uh, setting your team up. There's really no room in the college game um, where you come in and you're like, okay, we're going to take five games and we're going to get sorted out. That's what your preseason is for. You got to kind of hit the, hit the ground running. Uh, Lisa Cole uh, has put together a goalkeeping slate uh, with uh, some of the best goalkeeping coaches in the country, Jill Lloyden, uh, Phil Wedden, who I had the pleasure of working with at, uh, with the U S women's national team. So we have a great group high performance. We have performance analysts who are coming in to talk about um, technology, the use of technology, what to glean from it. Um, we've had sport psychologists coming in, Dan Abrams, Rachel Linval, um, amongst others, uh, who will uh, who will come in and talk about the mental preparation, the mental side of the game. We've got um, women who are working at the top levels of soccer. Uh, Dr. Missy Price, Amanda Vandervoort, both who are former presidents of United Soccer Coaches and accomplished. We've got Karina LeBlanc, who is the general manager, former Canadian international who is the general manager of the Thorns in Portland. So we have this wide spectrum. We have futsal um, uh, for that segment. It's just really, I mean, there is something either in the classroom or on the training pitch for everybody. We've got a video conferencing with Jesse Marsh who's coaching at Leeds, the American coach who's coaching at Leeds. So we have an awful lot in those five days, and we're very excited about it. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, sorry, we had some minor technical difficulties there. 
Great stuff there, coach. Thank you. Thank um, you. so the elevator, the elevator speech here, coach, yep. right? You're I step into that elevator. Um, maybe I'm a first year, second year high school coach. I see you're wearing the uh the United Soccer Coaches quarter zip jacket, what have you, and I ask you about it, and I'm kind of on the fence. Why should I join? Why should I consider being a, a member as a high school coach for United Soccer Coaches? Because I see a lot of pro stuff. I see a lot of college stuff. Obviously, the actual, you know, the bulk is with high school coaches, but a lot of people don't know that. So tell me, give me that elevator speech on why I should strongly consider becoming a member. Well, there are tons of reasons. Much of it sorts itself out around education. I find that one of one thing that coaches have in common everywhere is they want to know whether they want to know how to teach something, organize something, where it applies for them, and they need trusted sources in order to get information. And we're a proven trusted source. So that along with the affinity and the collegial relationship that the association offers. I think I've been a member since 83, 84, and I can remember being around, being around people like Walter Barr who played in the 1950 World Cup team that beat England in South America, and John McKeon who coached at East Stroudsburg, and Laurie Witzel who was an early president in the association and you find that you have, all, all across all these dimensions, you find you have so many common interests in the game, the passion for it, the enthusiasm and interest in becoming a better coach. These are the things that bind us. And I find that over 40 years as a member now, I value as much as the experiences that I've had either as a presenter, as a coach, um, or watching presentations over all that time, the relationship that you get with people who have similar interests, who can be from different parts of the country, the things that you share in that realm are priceless. And that's one of the big things that I think you get out of the association. Right, right, awesome. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, all right, coach, that's going to do it for our first segment. We know we're going to have you stick around for our counterattack segment where we get to uh, get to pick on you a little bit, have some fun with you. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. College Promoters USA, founded and located in San Antonio, operates as the only family-owned college recruiting company in Texas that brings a truly professional, local, and face-to-face -face approach to area high school student-athletes and their families. As the lead sponsor and proud supporter of the 5050 Podcast, alongside Coach Hector Cano, College Promoters is proud to be elevating its support for the college soccer recruiting process more than any other service in the country. If your son or daughter is serious about competing in college soccer, call College Promoters USA directly at 210-494-6363 or visit collegepromotersusa.com anytime. College Promoters USA, the best investment a parent can make in their high school student-athlete. And we are back with Dave Simeon, the Director of Education Programs at United Soccer Coaches. All right, Coach, it is that time, the moment of truth. Are you ready? Yes, sir. <laughs> all right, all right. So, uh, but before, kind of want to keep you on ice there really quick. Before uh, before we get to counterattack, just wanted to tell you about our good friends at Gipper. So our friends at Gipper, they're doing some phenomenal stuff. We've been partnered with them now going back on, it's about to be six months, actually. Um, they they help us with a lot of our work on the digital on the artwork the digital piece uh the digital social social media graphics they do tremendous work and uh so let me tell you a little bit about our friends at gipper gipper is the way schools athletic departments ad's and coaches create world-class marketing content join over 2500 coaches and ad's and use gipper to create to create high quality visual branded graphics for your program the best part anyone can do it Anyone can do it in seconds on any device without needing any design experience. Even if you are a more advanced user as well, a power user as they call them, 
is you can do so many more phenomenal things with it as well. So the power user in mind as well, you'll uh, you'll see it, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal resource. So listeners of the 5050 podcast, you can receive 10% off any first time gift or purchase. That is an annual purchase where you can get 10% off just for being a 5050 podcast listener. So visit gipper.com slash partner slash 5050 to learn more. Again, that's gipper.com slash partner slash 5050. All right, coach. All right. So counterattack, uh, we promise uh, promise not to pick on you. We'll have a little bit of fun with you, but we promise That's not right. to pick on you. All right. First one, favorite number and why? Favorite number, two. I just like it. There's only one number better than it, and it's just as simple, two. Yeah. All right. All right. Short, sweet, and simple. I like that. All right. VAR, VAR, whatever you want to call it, yes or no? Yes, but they need to clean up how they're going to use it so that they don't continue to ruin the game. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about, I'm curious, talk, the, maybe the technical data, the analysis that comes out of this World Cup on that front will be amazing. Will be, a, you know. They yeah. ought to pay some attention to it. And I would be mm -hmm. interested to understand how they evaluate it. How right. are you evaluating its effectiveness and how it's used in the game? Right. Yeah. Whenever you're being called offside by by a kneecap or being remaining onside because because of a, <laughs> to put it bluntly, a butt cheek. I don't know. I don't know. So, all right. <laughs> all right. Gifts, gifts, gifs, whatever you want to call it. Gifts, memes, or emoji. Which one are you? I think more emoji. Emoji. What's the go-to emoji? Go-to emoji is the fist bump. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my go-tos also. So, all right. Next one. Lake, ocean, or river? Ocean. Ocean. Why ocean? Just the beach? Just something about the ocean that's so different. Um, it's just, it's like nothing else. Yeah. I don't know the ocean. Ocean kind of creeps me out a little bit. You know, it's nice at a distance to look at it, but yeah, we the fact that we know more about space than what's beneath these oceans kind of I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but that kind of freaks me out. So well, it's always right, it's always a little weird because it's so big, and you just need to get a few feet under it, and you can find out some things maybe you didn't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, next one. Bucket list destination. Place place you haven't been that you need to go before it's a wrap. Wow, that's really that's that's really really difficult. I would say never been to South Africa and so I'd like to go to South Africa to Johannesburg. Nice. Okay. A hobby, so we're going we're backtracking here back to the pandemic period, right? So Maybe a hobby you discovered during the pandemic. You know, we were all cooped up. We were all locked up. Maybe something you kind of returned to or something you discovered during the pandemic. You know, I got to say that the one thing that I experienced more during the pandemic than anything was boredom. I was just <laughs> bored. I mean, um, I was teaching some online courses for Indiana University during that time. And I was just fed up with Zoom. So I've I've found probably not something else to do, something else to stay away from. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next one. Greatest sports movie. Ooh. Greatest sports movie. You can only wow. pick one. Or a one and one A, maybe I'll give you that. But really, really what's the greatest? Um, you know, even though I didn't play baseball, I have to say um, the um, field of dreams because it's mm. it epitomizes baseball. Baseball is the boys of summer, the this romantic sport. There's so much history and romance around it. I got to say field of dreams might be one of my yeah. favorite. Nice. Okay. Good. Good choice. Favorite. This one always ruffles feathers, so I love asking this one. Favorite and least favorite soccer team? You know, favorite comes in phases, right? You know, you grow out of one girl into the other. 
I would have to say that it's a tie between Bayern Munich and Arsenal as the favorites. Bayern Munich and Arsenal. You know, least favorite, I have to say, and it's because of recent history, I just don't like PSG. I hope mm. that doesn't hurt their feelings. <laughs> I think they'll be okay. They'll be so, all right. All right. Yeah. I could I could see that one though. I could see that. Yeah. All right, next one. So <clears throat> You are appointed the the soccer czar in America. Oh, I like you, this already. I love it. Yeah. You're you're in charge of all of soccer. What you say goes, you're appointed the soccer czar in America tomorrow. What is agent first thing you have to change something? Your very first item of business, agenda item number one. What is the very first thing you would change in soccer in America tomorrow? I'd make the country smaller so we could get our arms around it. And uh, I just, it's so, if I could wave a magic wand, I'd take one third of the country and just shrink it. I'd put it in a dryer or whatever I needed to do. I would shrink it and I'd make the country one third smaller. I think we'd be better off for it soccer wise. Right. That's an interesting one. It's the first time I've gotten that one. So, all right. I always love to ask coaches that one. So next one. A song that describes you. Wow. Let me see. I think it's Bonnie Raitt. The road is my middle name. There you go. All right. So, yeah, you are. I think you're a Bonnie Raitt guy, aren't you? I am a Bonnie Raitt guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I hope Most she's least... listening, by the way. I hope she's listening, Hector. Yeah. We just have to hope she's not a PSG fan, though, Coach. We have to hope. True. So. True. All right. So, <laughs> all right. A song, or I'm sorry, most most recent binge watch, Netflix, Amazon Prime, what have you. Um, most recent binge watch. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, Tulsa. Mm, how I saw the first two. How many episodes are they in? Into They're that? only like five, but five in. Okay, but the. It's such an uncanny set of circumstances where this mobster comes out, they mm -hmm. send him to Tulsa, and he gets off the plane and he starts making money. <laughs> I mean, it's just unbelievable, but yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's one of the more enjoyable ones I've seen in a while. So, so two thumbs up? Two thumbs. Yeah, all right. I'm only through the first two. I think when they had that premiere, right, and the first two episodes came out, and then, yeah, there was a pause in there. So, I, I yeah, I got to come back to that. So, all right, next one. In three words, right? You can only use three words to describe this. You have to explain this. Why do you coach? I love it. There you go. Perfect. All right, next one. Scale of one to 10, right? How good or bad of a driver are you? One is we need to revoke your driver's license immediately. And a 10 is you are the gold standard, the DMV standard. I'm an 11, Hector. I mean, oh I God. am. It's unbelievable <laughs> the things that I have to contend with on the road. It's a simple problem. You know, my my theory is that when you go out to get, go out to get something, drive to where you need to be. Don't take the Sunday afternoon route on 69 and I-35 heading into Kansas City. I think I'm. A, I think realistically, I'm an eight or nine. But I yeah. now I'm going to say eleven. I was going to say you don't. There, there isn't really traffic, right? By definition, in Kansas City, you got to come down here, to San Antonio, oh. and and oh. experience some <laughs> experience oh. some well, traffic. Well, whether you're in San Antonio, Houston, or Dallas. Yeah. I mean, geez, the traffic in all three of those places is just monumental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah, Houston. Houston can be. Yeah, Houston can be different for sure. So, yeah. Um, all right. Final question, Coach. Um, you go back to your playing day, but now as a coach, right? Everything you've learned through the years. If you could go back and coach you, right, with everything you know now, but coach you, the player, how would you? have coached you? Oh, I was a little bit tough in some places because I got too single-minded about things. I think um, some of the coaches I had, of course, they were single-minded about things. <laughs> so some of it, you know, we had a little bit of this going on. But I think, you know, knowing what I know now, 
I wouldn't be so heavy handed with me. And I maybe pick and choose what I was really going to try and upset the apple cart. I think that goes for players all the time. You know, I mean, even the best talents, you know, you can get aggravated with because they're stubborn or they're, um, they're not very good learners. Sometimes people that are really, really good as players, then when things get tough and they have to adjust, that's not in their toolbox. But I think if I were coaching me, I would just pick and choose and how I was going to change some of those things. Right. Right. Yeah. No, well said. Well said. I think the more that seems to be a very common question or a very common response the longer you've been a coach, right? The more you've learned that wisdom, that just the experiences. Yeah. Yeah. No, well said. Well said. So coach, this has been phenomenal. We've uh, really appreciated having you on. And uh, so before we kind of close, close out with final thoughts, anything that you need to plug, where can we find you? Where can we get more information on the, whether it's the convention, United soccer coaches in general, anything, anything you need to plug? Well, we just we start out every day thinking about our members, whether they are high school coaches, club coaches, uh, pro coaches, college coaches. So we'd like to be we'd like to be the trusted source that coaches are looking for in education. The other parts of it, the membership that will pay you benefits. But we would invite people to come and find us at unitedsoccercoaches.org to come and look at the training ground. I think people are going to be impressed with that. And then we would love to be able to get into as many environments as possible to offer our programming um, because we love making a difference with coaches who make a difference with players in the game. Well said. Great stuff. So, all right, coach, we've arrived at that moment. So we wrap up now and you, and as of late, traditionally, we now wrap up with our final, final thoughts segment. So anything that's on your mind with any thank yous, shout outs, or just something, a piece of the game, something that you want to share as that's recently been on your mind. We call this, this final thought segment and you as our guest, uh, we, we're going to let you go first. The floor is yours. Well, the two things that come to mind is that, I always look at youth coaches, high school coaches, college coaches, and I encourage them to be individual thinkers about the game. Don't always take somebody else's word for it. You can take concepts, principles, all of those things, but find out what works for you and your team or your program and innovate. I think that's part of coaching. It's it's reality-based. It's not going to be right. the same as it was 10 years ago. And then the other part of it is I can't tell you what a great group of people I get to work with at United Soccer Coaches. Our CEO, Jeff Van Dusen, our COO, um, Angie Eliason. Um, we have great people in awards, our media and marketing people headed up with uh, Brandon Milburn. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, we have 28 people, I think in the office and um, it's, it's an unbelievable group and they all share one thing passionately. And that is they love the association. They love the game and they absolutely are committed to our membership. Mm -hmm. So that's a blessing every day. I count. Right. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very cool office, very cool setup. I've been there. Oh, I, yeah. I attended back in uh, August of uh, August, 2019. I attended a, uh, a performance analysis. I think the initial, the inaugural performance yep. analysis course that was yep. there. I, I got to attend that. So it was pretty awesome. And uh, to be there for a weekend was pretty, pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah. So um, coach, thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. Happy new year to yourself. Um, Really appreciate you being here in our first episode of 2023. So really appreciate you being here. Um, and for our listeners, for our supporters, as we kick off 2023, 
um, also for our student athletes across the state of Texas, it, it has begun, right? Or the UIL, UIL soccer season has begun. So we want to wish each and every one of you a uh, good luck in this, this upcoming 2023 season. Have some fun with it. Build, uh, build those relationships with your teammates as well. And uh, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the experience. Don't just chase the, the W's, right? The wins. Uh, but uh, that's what makes high school soccer unique, as we talked about, is that, you know, there's an old saying that, uh, you know, that the only time they, on, they, they only cry, right? Players only cry when they take off their high school jersey for the last time, right? So that only exists maybe at that level on, on the youth amateur side. So, uh, so enjoy the journey, right? The 2023 journey, it's here, it's upon us. So we want to wish each and every one of you the absolute best of luck. Again, for our listeners, for our supporters, thank you for all you've done in helping us grow in 2022. Uh, we've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. And we always mention that you are the reason why we do it. We That's not to pander. That's to always to keep us focused and let us letting us remind us as to why we're doing this. So thank you for all the downloads, all the listens. You know, subscribe, uh, go on, you know, go on, uh, whether it's on, on the podcast platforms as well. So Apple Podcasts whether it's Spotify or whatever your podcast platform is of choice, go on there, like, rate, write, write reviews for the podcast as well, because it helps with the content as well. So it helps us become discovered more as well. So thank you. Uh, thank you for everything. And uh, again, you're the reason why we do it and you know what to do until the next time. Keep downloading and keep listening. You've been listening to the 5050 podcast powered by college promoters USA. Help us continue to grow by liking, rating, and subscribing on all major podcast platforms. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at 50 underscore 50 pod, on Instagram at 50 underscore 50 podcast, as well as on YouTube at the 50 underscore 50 podcast. Until the next time, keep downloading and keep listening.